Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. If you would like some more information about us, please visit adventurechurch.co.za. We hope that you will enjoy today's message. word that I feel over us and and I've kind of been navigating what it is so bear with me but there's a couple of different nuances to to this but I was I was flying home uh, I had a quick trip to Joburg on Friday and I was flying home and I was listening to a message uh, from a, one of our partnering churches in Chicago a couple that planted out of Mpangeni just down the road here and he was talking about vision and he was talking about one of the points he was he was he was articulating he used this is a picture, and I thought it was such a beautiful picture, but he was talking about his favorite advert, his favorite TV commercial. And he spoke about when VW first, or, or when Remote Starting first came out, VW released this advert, and it's a little boy dressed in a Darth Vader outfit. And, and he walked through the house, and he stood in front of the dishwasher, and he tried to use the force, and nothing happened. And there his dog was lying on the floor, and he comes and he, he puts his hands on to try and get his dog to move and nothing happens. And anyway, in the, in the midst of him doing this, his dad arrives home in his new VW. And the dad walks inside and the little boy goes and walks outside. And the dad, unbeknownst to the little boy, follows him out. And the little boy stands and he looks at the car and he does this. And as he does this, the father starts the car remotely. And this little boy stands back and he's shocked at the fact that he's just started the car. And the statement that Steve made was, it, he did nothing. It was the father standing behind him that did it. But he was perfectly positioned in the presence of the father to believe it was him. And, and I thought such a beautiful illustration. And, and while I was listening to this, we were flying over, coming into land. And I was looking at how incredibly green the aerial views of KZN are. Where there's so little that, that's colored anything other than this brilliant bright green. I mean, we look out upon the, the sugarcane fields and you see the brightness of this green. And, and, and why this is significant is yesterday... Kayla was studying, so Kayla, pay attention, this is going to help you for this week. But she was studying the, the process of photosynthesis. And, and plants are green because of chlorophyll. And, and, but what the chlorophyll does is the chlorophyll absorbs the light. And when it absorbs the light, that light that comes in converts to an energy that separates the, the hydrogen and the oxygen molecules in water. And the oxygen is breathed out of the plant, or it's a, it's, it's a waste product of the plant. But for us as people, that's an amazing thing because we live off oxygen. And then it takes this, this hydrogen and it combines it with, with carbon dioxide and it converts it into sugar. And the sugar, these glucose, the syrup, is transported to storage facilities in the leaves, in the stems. So you look at sugarcane in the stems, in the, in the fruit. Uh, apples, bananas in the fruit. It, it stores this, this, this energy. And, and as we were worshiping this morning, I was reminded of this. And I was reminded of John 15. And I've actually, one of the scriptures that I preached through today is John 15. But it says there, abide in me, for apart from me, you can bear no fruit. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And this chlorophyll, what it does is it, it positions itself to absorb the light. Plants cannot bear fruit outside of the light. 
It's light that, 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 that takes that energy and it puts it in them. And the chlorophyll, all it does is it positions itself in the light and, and that light creates an energy that does the rest of the process. And, and the, the end result is it bears fruit. And, and the fruit is sweet and the fruit is good. And, and I just had a sense on me this morning that God is calling us to be fruitful. And something, it was a word that came through so consistently through our prayer and fasting time is about fruitfulness, fruitfulness, fruitfulness. But there's not a pressure to create fruitfulness. There's a pressure for us to position ourselves in the presence of the Father so that His light can work in us and through us and transform things where even the, the, the expelling of oxygen brings life to those around Him. We're going to be a people where positioned in his presence, life comes. And I, I wanted the kids to be a part of this because for them, that's a prophetic picture over their lives. Even as they go to school, that they position themselves in a way where God does a mighty work through them. And it's not a, it's not a pressure thing. It's not something we work hard at, but God is busy working. And, and I feel that this year he's called us to a place of fruitfulness. But we're going to be like this little kid who we're going to witness things unfold because we stand in the presence of the Father and he stands behind us and does what he does best. Guys, will you follow Shanae and go have an incredible, incredible time in children's ministry? We're gonna, are we going to meet the sun? So this morning, uh, I, I had a message prepped, and the message that was prepped was going through, as I said last week in our vision, when, when we look at the different facets of preparing the bride, uh, making disciples, planting New Testament churches, training and releasing leaders, equipping the priesthood, and winning the lost. I wanted to break open those things a little bit more and spend some time. What does that mean for us as a church in terms of our meetings with regards to these six points? But throughout the night, I was, I was wrestling with this notion of what does it mean to prepare the bride? How does that look? What is, what is the outworking of that? The bride being the bride of Christ, which is the church? But thank you. So, so what does it mean to prepare the bride, and how does this look to us? And as I, I spent time kind of wrestling through this, I realized that to try and preach a very shallow overview of all of these things in one message is possible, but there's no depth to it. And and the first heading under prepare the bride is actually not immature which means it's something of raising to a place of maturity. So to just to brush over it and there not be depth to it is, is a lovely summary. But what does it do? So we've decided and in discussion with, with John decided we're going to be running a series where we're going to speak, uh, speak on maybe one or two of these points in a week just to break it open and bring depth to what we're looking at. Because I think to brush over this this topic is going to be a travesty for us and we are not going to see the fullness of what God's doing. And, and why are we talking about these points is how does this dictate how we meet? How does this dictate when we meet, where we meet, who we're meeting for? We've got ministries and 
and we've got a children's ministry that's just gone outside to meet now. We've got youth. We've got uh, uh, prayer times. We, we, we get together. We gather for different purposes. But why? Why do we do these things? And, and that's a question that's important for us to grasp so that when we come, we come ready for the outworking of that time. And, and we want to have an impact in the kingdom. That's our goal. That's our desire. We want to see the Great Commission come to its fulfillment. And, and we want to live out the Great Commandment as a corporate unit for the advancement of, of God's kingdom. And in light of this prophetic word about light, Jesus refers to churches as lampstands. So those lampstands are plugged into his source and they reflect his light into a dark world. So that's our role is to be a people who reflect a light source into a very dark world. So the first part is preparing the bride. What does that mean? What does it look like? How do we prepare the bride as a group? What do we see in our meetings that positions ourselves to prepare, prepare the bride? And, and I want to read through Ephesians 5. Now, this is a passage of scripture that we often talk about the role of a husband and a wife. But the context of the role of a husband and wife is speaking about Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. So, so we can learn about this. And it's great that we spend a lot of time focusing on marriage and husbands and wives through this passage of scripture. But we can't neglect the significance of what it's being compared to because that's the plumb line from which we learn. So Ephesians 5 from verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the, the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I'm not going to spend time going through the marital significance of this. So we're going to brush over some of that because I want to, I want to delve deep into what does it mean for us as the church to submit to Jesus as our bridegroom. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, last week I said Jesus didn't, didn't spill his blood. He shed his blood. He poured it out for us so that we might have an everlasting life. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. One of my favorite moments in a wedding is when the bride arrives and the groom stands and the groom sees his bride in all her splendor. A bride goes and she gets this beautiful white wedding dress and she has someone that comes and does her hair and she has someone who does her makeup to present her to the bridegroom. And, and Jesus is saying here that he might present the church, us, not just our church, but the church, the global church, his bride, that he might present us to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So when we talk about preparing the bride, this is the kind of bride that we are expecting to see in the outworking of the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves him, his, his wife loves himself. So Jesus said to us here, in loving us as the church, he's loving himself as well. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a unity and a uniting that Jesus wants to bring between us and him. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul's speaking this into the context of saying, husbands and wives, here's a great moment to learn. But what he's doing is he's bringing it back to Jesus and the church. And he's saying, our marriages are modeled after this. But if our marriages are modeled after this, surely our local churches should be modeled after this. Our local churches should be modeled in the truth that he is speaking here, because this is the desire of Jesus for us as the church. So what does it mean to prepare the bride? And, and, and what we see out of the scriptures, first and foremost, is Jesus is the one that prepares the bride. So that might sound a little bit counterintuitive because we're speaking on our, our function in preparing the bride, but he's saying he prepares the bride. So how does that work? And I think in light of that prophetic word that I, I spoke of this, this morning, it's positioning ourselves in his presence for him to do the work through us. And we see this in Psalm 127 verse 1 to 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So in God building, those who align with him building are building well, but those who build outside of him labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's a picture for us as husbands sitting on the city gates and work to watch over the city, to see. They would take um, shifts where the soldiers would watch over the city to make sure that the enemy wasn't coming through. And, and they're saying, but but those guys do it in vain unless they are doing it aligned with God doing it. it. says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Message says he delights in giving those he loves rest. He delights in it. So what is this saying is that actually we have got a job to do and we are working, but we are working in him so that he works through us. So what does it mean for a church to prepare the bride? Well, firstly, we've got to acknowledge that Christ is the head of the church. So the, the church submits to him. Not only our church, but the church. So because the, the church submits to him, we as a local body submit to him. We acknowledge, number two, that Christ gave himself up for the church. So we are here because of him. And he says, there's no greater gift than he who lays down his life for his brother. And he goes and encourages us to do the same. So as Christ laid down his life for the church, so we lay down our life for those around us. We lay our life down for him so he can work through us for the advancement of, of his kingdom. And that makes that distinction between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. We're not just serving him as a Savior where one day we will get into heaven. No, we have an active mission to be out working now. But we've got to acknowledge that it comes because he leads us in how to do this. Number three, to sanctify. That is the process of sanctification. So when we get saved... We are justified by faith. It means, someone once used the expression, it means just as if I've never sinned. Justified. 
So, so we have this righteousness of Christ that covers all our sin, but then he starts to sanctify us. And that process of sanctifying is, is linked up into his impartation of righteousness upon us. So you have these two things called um, imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. And imputed righteousness is he covers us. This is us. And, and he looks at us and he says, you are now saved. And he covers us. And this is his righteousness. And when you, you look here, you see his righteousness. So we enter the presence of the Father. He sees the righteousness. And that's, this is imputed righteousness that covers us. But then there's this imparted righteousness where he starts to bring that righteousness through us. And all of a sudden, it's no longer just around us, but it's in us as we become more like him. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, of Jesus Christ. So he's busy working in us, the church, for us to become more like him. But it goes on to say in Philippians 2 verse 12 to, to 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's a responsibility for each one of us to work out our, our salvation, to work out our process of sanctification. So as much as he's working it out on our behalf, so we are working with him. And it says here, for it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it still links it back to him being the source, for him being the power, but there's an activeness in our responsibility. So number four is to cleanse with water and the washing of the word. Now, in scripture, water represents the Holy Spirit. So, so this, this is a picture of baptism in the Spirit. When you, when, when you cleanse with water, there's a fully immersed immersion in the Spirit. And, and we'll spend time one day preaching on what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit. But the, the simplest analogy that I, I love is... There's a difference between drinking water, which we receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved, so we receive Him. There's a difference between drinking water and having water within us. Our bodies are 70% water, but there's also a difference between going and diving in the ocean and being fully immersed. That's the baptism in the Spirit, is fully immersing ourselves in Him and, and walking in power. Ephesians 6 Verse 17 says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the two go hand in hand, sword, word and spirit. So we don't just operate in the spirit and we don't just operate in the word, but it's both. It's like uh, we came into land on Friday. I, I, I considered the concept of an airplane landing as this random tube. And I was thinking how unstable a tube is, because as we hit the ground, we started kind of wobbling. And, and I was just thinking how the wings bring stability to the tube, this fuselage of the, of the airplane. And you take the wings away or you make the wings short or you don't give the wings enough space, what happens is there's no stability for this thing to fly. But it's the wings that get it up in the air, word and spirit. We're not word people, we're not spirit people, we're both. So we operate in accordance with both the Holy Spirit and the word. He presents the church in splendor without spot, wrinkle, holy, without blemish. 
1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 to 31 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let one, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's his righteousness that comes upon us. That's how he presents us as holy to him. It's that whole process of sanctification that comes through as he sanctifies us in him. Number six, we are his body. He nourishes it and he cherishes it. We are one body with many parts. In Ephesians 4 verse 15 to 16, this is speaking out of the, the, the fivefold gifting. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who's the head, into Christ. Remember the same, same language being used as we were seeing earlier. Uh, in, in him saying he's the head of the church. This is the, the, the chapter that precedes what we were speaking about earlier. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's many parts um, we see the same thing in, 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 in Corinthians. It talks about one body with many parts. Each one of us makes this little part in the midst of this body. But we grow up together in him, into Christ. And in that we grow ourselves up and we build ourselves up in love. Hebrews 5.11 says, About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish. Uh, good from evil. So what it is saying is actually when, when Christ wants to nourish us, he wants to raise us up to a point of eating solid food. And the difference between a baby drinking milk and, and someone eating solid food is you learn to start feeding yourself. So when we look at equipping the saints, one of the next points in this, in this, this thing, we're going to speak about what is it like to equip ourselves to to feed ourselves jesus still gives us the food but a baby you have to feed with my kids now we we cook a meal and we put a plate in front of them and they feed themselves there's a maturity in being able to feed yourself and and this passage is talking about the fact that that we've got to get to a point in our maturity where we learn to feed ourselves with the food that god's given us and that food is in the word Number seven is to hold fast to Jesus. John 15 verse 4 to 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So when we want to do this, we ought to be doing it out of positioning ourselves in the presence of God. So that's, that's what preparing the bride looks like. But how does that impact our meetings? So practically, what does this look like for us as a church? And number one, we submit to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. So where it says Christ is the head of the church and the church submits to him, we need to be a people who submit to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We cannot allow our structures to replace being spirit-led when we meet and how we meet. We've got to honor His presence. 
We don't have to contend for his presence. We don't say, oh, Lord Jesus, please let your presence come. He comes before us, but let's honor his presence in our meetings. He determines our preaching series and not culture. Why this is important is the enemy is rife in culture. So we're not here to preach counterculture where everything we see that the world is getting involved with, we're wanting to bring back and say, well, you're doing this, you should be doing that. You're doing this, you should be doing that. And allowing the culture to determine what we preach. No, we've got to be spirit-led and say, Lord, what are you wanting us to preach? As I was saying this morning, I was wrestling because there was something that I was going to brush over this topic. But, but I felt him say, no, 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 I want you to do a, pre a preaching series on this. I was thinking, Lord, Sunday morning is, is for me not the time to have heard this when I prepared a message and now I'm having to re-prepare a message. But we've got to be spirit-led. And, and in that, it's okay to put what we've planned aside because he wants to do something different. We've got to be open-handed with our time. And, and that's how we submit to him. Number two, we acknowledge that Jesus builds his church and he gave himself up for her. So as Jesus gave himself up for, for us, we acknowledge that he's the one that plants lampstands. He's the one that builds and we build alongside him, going back to that Psalm 127. So in our meetings, it's not us who are building. So sharing last week about the difference between vision and strategy, we've got to trust him for both vision and strategy. We don't take the vision and start applying our strategy and start building outside of him. No, no, we build in accordance with what he's doing. So our meetings need to honor that. Our meetings need to honor his strategy in what he's doing. Our meetings need to acknowledge that he's the one that builds the church. Number three is that, that process of sanctification. We need to be a people who make time for him to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. So that means we don't only uh, preach uh, the, the doing stuff, but we preach his love coming and, 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 and cleansing us and washing us. But we need to make time for him to sanctify us. Part of that is making time available for praying over people. I loved over our prayer and fasting time uh, on, the, on the first night, Shanae uh, spoke about praying for ourselves and, and, and what are we praying into on behalf of the things that we personally are, are, are being trialed with and saying, Lord, can we pray into that? That's part of our journey of sanctification. When we prayed for one another and we broke up into groups on, on the second night, we were praying into the specifics, speaking prophetic words over each other. That's something of this process of sanctification. We need to make sure that our meetings are, give space for that to happen. Now, not every meeting will need this to be, but, but on a Sunday morning, absolutely. If, if we start having a regular prayer meeting, absolutely. In our youth meetings, absolutely. Number four, being cleansed with the water and washing of the word. We need to make room for the spirit to move with power amongst us, fully surrendered in every meeting. Guys, I'm happy for interruptions to take place in our meetings. I don't want to get into the point of just going, well, we go, we, we, we speak up. Uh, do a couple of, of worship songs, we, we preach the word, we have coffee, we go home and we say, now we've ticked our box and we've had our, our, our meeting. 
I'm trusting that our meetings become more and more messy as we become less and he becomes more. We're going to have unbelievers coming into our, our meetings and stuff's going to happen. We've seen those moments before. We, that's okay. Uh, we can't be so tight-fisted with, with our, our methodology of what we're expecting that we're not allowing him to, to work. And secondly, we've got to unapologetically preach the word and allow it to pierce our hearts. So we're not here to offend people with our behavior, but I'm happy to offend people with the word. We preach the truth and we don't sugarcoat it, we don't transform it, we don't alter it to accommodate people because we are doing them a disservice. We've got to be a people who are willing to preach the word and preach it in truth so that people can be transformed by its power. Number five, he presents the church in splendor without spot, wrinkle, holy, and without blemish. We present the righteousness of Christ in us and through us. We've got to preach identity and the significance of that. We preach the righteousness of Christ on us. We preach the difference between conviction and condemnation. That condemnation implies that the righteousness of Christ is not good enough in us because it, it separates us from the presence of God. But conviction draws us into the presence of God because he's making us more like him. But his righteousness is what qualifies us. We've got to be a people who learn to preach this regularly so that we know that it's his righteousness that's upon us. And in this, we are preparing the bride and the bride is becoming more without spot, more without wrinkle, holy and without blemish. The church is broken, but it's beautiful. And, and, and he is busy restoring. He's busy redeeming. I know for us, um, I had massive questions in my heart over, over building this house. And it, it's, it's been way out of our comfort zone. But, but the reason that we're doing it was in obedience to what we felt God call it, speak over our lives. And, and if it wasn't for it, we wouldn't be able to have this meeting. And I remember the day we took the keys, I felt God drop in my heart. He says, every blemish you look upon at this house, must signify the bride of Christ. And when you see that, you know that my bride is not perfect, but it's beautiful. But he's busy working in us to make us more like him. And he's covering those wrinkles. He's covering those blemishes. He's transforming us more into his likeness and his image. Number six, his body. He nourishes it and cherishes it, one body with many parts. We've got to be a people who preach the full counsel of God to equip all people. And, and that's part of our partnership with the apostolic team and bringing in these Ephesians 4 gifts is, I don't want to be known as the prophetic church. That we are only a prophetic church. And if you want to, if you want to go to a church that's strongly prophetic, you've got to go to that church. Or this is the evangelist church. No, no, no. We, we've got to be a people who are well-rounded in the fullness of what God's called us to. And, and that means that, that we've got to acknowledge our shortcomings and invite those who we see those shortcomings, uh, the, the gifting of those people in there to come in and speak to us so that they can equip us for every good work. We need to be a people who prophesy. We need to be a people who evangelize. We need to be a people who go. We need to be a people who love and, and, and pastor people. We need to be able to teach. A person who sits under the ministry of the most gifted teacher in the world will never grow to maturity 
because the Bible says that we're actually going to be growing in all these different areas. So you can sit under the most gifted teacher for all your life and you will never grow in the fullness of maturity. But at Ephesians 4, where it speaks about the fivefold gifting, it speaks about unity in the church, it speaks about maturity in the church, that these gifts are to equip the saints and build them up to a place of unity and maturity. So we invite people in. Next week, Sunday, Shana's folks are with us. I said, pray into what you feel for us in this season. And they're going to be coming and ministering with us. Why? Because we recognize the gift that they are, and we recognize that, that we are incomplete without bringing those gifts in. We've got to be a people who work out our call and our purpose and recognize that every single person brings purpose to this place. And we're not here to compete with one another, but we're here to complement one another. So when we are one body with many parts, we've got to look at it and say, we need to add to our number those who are lost and bring them into a place of purpose because we are incomplete without those that God has called us to. But each one of us works out our call, works out our, our purpose. And, and it's our role as the leadership to assist us in finding that call and purpose while we are busy working out the call that, that God has given us as a church. And then lastly, we've got to hold fast to Jesus. And, 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 and I've said hold fast to both Jesus and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been given to us here to help us out. So when Jesus has gone to be at the right hand of the Father, he says, I am sending you a helper. So we hold fast to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Someone once said, if Jesus had to remove the Holy Spirit from the church, would we notice? And my question is to us, is Jesus, Jesus had to remove the Holy Spirit from our church, would we notice? He's the one that operates in power. He's the one that makes it messy. He's the one that brings in a supernatural into, into what we're working with. And that's what we see in Scripture and the outworking of it. And secondly, we've got to be a people who seek Him with all our heart. It's amazing how many times in the Scripture it says, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Often links seeking and with all your heart. We've got to be intentional in seeking out Jesus. And then for me, we've got to be honoring of the bride. Tyron, who heads up the, the NCMI team, he often says that we speak about the bride of Christ like we speak about an ex-girlfriend in high school BC days says, if someone had to speak about my wife like that, I'd punch them in the mouth. Do we honor the bride? We are so quick to bring judgment onto the bride of Christ. We are so quick to point out how every local church is doing something wrong. Guys, this is the bride of Christ. We will be doing a preaching series on the seven books I mean, seven churches in the book of Revelation. But one thing I know is no matter how harsh the rebuke is, Jesus still honors them as a church. He commends them, but some of them he rebukes. You've lost your first love. You've grown lukewarm. It's better to spit you out, but he still honors them as a church. Guys, we've got to be honoring in how we speak of the bride of Christ. Because I think what's happened through the local church is sometimes we become so consumed by the local church 
that we feel we're in competition with the global church. We don't have everything right because we're fallible, we people. But our desire is to honor Jesus. But there's many people out there who are being sent like sheep to be slaughtered. And the ones who are wanting to do the slaughtering are other churches, other church leaders. As we speak so negatively of people we've never met before. We've got to be careful how we speak of the church. And we've got to honor the bride, even though at times we see the blemishes come to fulfillment. And then lastly, it's all about Jesus and for Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 15 to 23, this is speaking of our King. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and, un and, and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By, blood, by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's reconciled us to him. And he's wanting to present us holy and blameless. I love the word blameless in scripture because for me, blameless and sinless are different. Blameless is not sinless, but blameless is in our imperfection. We carry the righteousness of Christ and therefore we are justified in how we do things. We are forgiven. Our, our, our iniquities are cleansed. Our shortcomings are washed away blameless before him. He presents us holy and blameless above reproach. That's him welcoming the bride. That's him standing at the, at the end of the aisle and he sees this bride coming. I'm going to share this last scripture before I pray for us. But I love the imagery in Revelation 21 and I was toying whether I put it in here or not, so I've omitted it from my notes, but I, I, I want to read it anyway. And uh, it's, it's got to do with the, the, the final moment of Jesus being glorified and, and grabbing hold of this earth and, and presenting the bride. And there's this moment, and it says here, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. 
So, sorry, uh, we read the verse before. It says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. That's his picture of his bride coming through, the wife of Christ. The first time I know of in Scripture, and I might st I stand to be corrected, so don't don't quote me on this. But it's the first time that I've I've recognised Jesus referring to us as the wife of the Lamb. He always refers to us as the bride of the Lamb. There's this there's this transition where we transition from the bride to the wife. Marcus, when he was here with us, was sharing a story. I think it was Marcus about a friend of his who's a pastor. And when asked what he does for a living, he says, "I've been entrusted with another man's bride. Been entrusted with looking after another man's bride." What do you mean by that? No, I have the privilege of pastoring in a church. We get to look after this bride together and we are the bride, but we grow the bride. We, we, we get to cleanse the bride, but it's him who's working in us. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's not a pressure thing, but we've got to be intentional in our surrendering to him that these things are evident in our meetings. So Lord, I thank you, Father, for first and foremost, the gift of being your bride in spite of the fact that we do not yet radiate with splendor but yet you look upon us and you say my bride is beautiful my bride is beautiful you stand at the end of the aisle waiting for her to be presented to you moment before the bride shows up the groom is standing ready, waiting, waiting for her. Lord Jesus, I pray for us as a church that even in this local body, we will see the bride made more holy and more righteous and more like you. Not because of what you, we do, but because of what you do through us, King. We surrender to you. I pray the blind spots that we have in our own hearts. I pray, Father, the outworking of our church where we miss these things, that you will, you will highlight that to us so that we can align with you, Father. And Lord Jesus, I pray for myself right now. Where I've dishonored your bride in my speech, when I've dishonored those who you've entrusted this responsibility to you, who I've never met, Lord, I pray that you forgive me. I pray that you place within my heart a revelation of the fact that you choose to use us in spite of the fact that we are not perfect. But you feel it's worth the risk. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will not be a people who condemn churches and their ministers with our speech. But we will honor you in the process, King. Thank you for your grace over our lives. And I thank you, Father, for your lavish love. And what a privilege it is to be your bride.
We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.